When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning. How's the form today? Happy Friday. On the agenda, a massive housing development is proposed for Tullamore. Not strictly housing, actually. Apartments as well as commercial and retail in a development that could transform the town centre. The River Suck between Ballinasloe and the Shannon has become a dumping ground for at least 15 years, so says a local man who wants to call a halt to the practice. And Ireland has entered a new agreement with NATO to protect our subsea cables, those cables that carry all of the fibre-optic messages between here and the United States, essential to the smooth operations of the internet. But are we now one step through the door of NATO membership? Or is that overplaying it? When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. And by the way, if you were travelling along the M6 yesterday, perhaps somebody travelling back home from Dublin or indeed from uh, Galway, depending on where in the Midlands you live, the Gorthy are very anxious to speak to anybody who saw the collision that has left a six-year-old girl in Temple Street Hospital. Very serious injuries, unfortunately. And the M6 eastbound remains closed between Rotford Bridge and Tyrrells Pass. And a technical exam will take place this morning. But in the meantime, dashcam footage, witness accounts, anything that can help Gorthy paint a picture would be most welcome. And the confidential line is ever 1800 or any Gartha station, indeed, would be happy to hear from you. So, what's on the front pages this morning? We'll begin with the Irish Independent, which tells us the switch to electric cars has fuelled a surge in car loans. Households are also taking out more green loans in general, it says, for home improvements and the next biggest category, holidays. This is data collected between July and September last year. A total of one in five loans issued were for electric vehicles. And the prices have been coming down. They are a little bit more affordable than they used to be. When electric cars really started becoming talked about as a serious option, and you're probably going to the Tesla Model S about 10 years ago, uh, BMW ID3, there were a few that started to really push the range barrier. And I shouldn't forget the likes of the Renault Zoe or the Nissan Leaf. They were perhaps the more affordable options at the time. It was a very select purchase. But now you're seeing in most counties, awfully is the exception, 2022 versus 2023, an upsurge in EV purchases. Um front of the Irish, in, uh, Irish Times, NATO agreement to counter Russian threat. The government insists this agreement is not a step towards full NATO membership, but it is a streamlined agreement to replace protocols that were already in place. 
and it will give us greater access to NATO resources, including sensitive intelligence about Russian movements in the Atlantic Ocean, particularly around the undersea cables off our Atlantic coast, which carry all of the data to America for the smooth operation of the internet and telecoms and various other sensitive exchanges. And this came at the same time as a report was released in the UK by one of these think tanks. Now, it's a conservative-leaning think tank, and it effectively calls us freeloaders that we are a backdoor threat to UK security, and Ireland needs to invest more in defence cooperation with its European neighbours, and the report says especially our maritime resources need strengthening, which is something we know, but seem to be very slow to deal with. And let's not even get into the whole debate about wages and terms and conditions in the defence forces. It's not just about not having the naval ships. We actually have plenty of those and we have more on order. It's the sailors. And having trained people, it's not even just the general uh, ranks of the naval service, but chefs, anybody who has an engineering background. These are people who are being tempted into much better paying jobs in the private sector. So it's not just about the numbers, it's about the specialities as well that the naval service and the defence forces in general have lost. The Irish Daily Mail. Priest had child access despite abuse allegation. This concerns a Jesuit priest who was accused of child sexual abuse, who for 11 years after a first complaint was made was still allowed access to children. How times change and how they stay the same as well. Anyway, that's a selection of what's on the front pages. Would you like some good news, perhaps, from the papers? Can we find any? Well, let's escape We're on a Friday morning when the weather outside is a little grey and a little wet and a little cool. So think of Faro in Portugal or Malaga in Spain, Alicante perhaps. These are some of the destinations in Ryanair's top ten routes out of Ireland, but they are not in the top spot. London Stansted, according to an article in the Irish Independent today, is Ryanair's most popular route out of Ireland, followed by Manchester, Edinburgh, Birmingham and Liverpool. So perhaps no surprise, UK destinations topping the list. And a lot of that will be business-related as well as personal travel. So then at number six, Faro, then Malaga. Amsterdam, we like a trip to Amsterdam for reasons that will stay in Amsterdam. Alicante is at nine and Bristol is at ten. The article also suggests ways in which you can find the best deals by navigating the Ryanair website in complex ways. Michael O'Leary would probably prefer you didn't. A clear majority of voters intend to vote yes in the forthcoming referendums, so claims a new opinion poll in the Irish Times today. But it seems the more you know about the referendums, the less likely you are to vote yes. 
But as it stands, 52% of voters polled said they will vote in favour. Just 15% are against. But you have 27% who don't know yet. So a lot of ground to be covered between now and polling day in March. Measles. The hunt continues in County Westmeath for anybody who may have come into contact with this tragic 48-year-old who died earlier this week. The man had been on a trip to Birmingham and there is a cluster of cases around that city at the moment and he came back to Ireland and became unwell and presented at hospital and unfortunately subsequently died at the Midlands Regional Hospital in Mullingar. But he was on a bus and so the Medical authorities here in the Midlands are trying contact tracing with anybody who may have been on that bus. They reckon he was probably infectious for eight days before he died. More details in all of today's newspapers. The Irish Times covers a very interesting legal case and a life-changing one for a young farmer from County Leash, Porrick Lowry who is from the Rathdowney area. He was just 22 years of age, working in New Zealand at the time, when he suffered a lifelong, life-altering and disabling injury. His arm was amputated to four inches below his right elbow when he was trying to deal with a blockage in a combine harvester and his arm was subsequently sucked into the moving parts of the machine. I'm sorry, I know you're not long after your breakfast. It was a very, very distressing episode. And so the court here in Ireland has awarded him 3.4 million euro in damages. But here's where it becomes very complicated. He was working in New Zealand at the time. So you may ask, well, why wasn't it a court case in New Zealand? He was recruited here in Ireland and so the argument was made that he had met a representative of this New Zealand company in a County Meath hotel and was offered the job back in 2014. So in effect the contract applies here and so now his solicitor has to try and get the judgment enforced in New Zealand to the tune of 3.4 3.4 million euro. So it's far from over yet and it's been a 10-year ordeal for him. Anyway, more details in the Irish Times today. Modern Morals, a letter to one of the papers is going to get you talking. It says, we're expecting our first child, a boy, congratulations, and we are in the process of choosing a name. Now, when my husband's dad got sick, he decided almost instantly he wanted to name our son after his father. It's his brother's name and his grandfather's name as well, so I suppose he feels like he's preserving his family legacy. We were both very emotional when he made the decision. I told him it was a great idea. But on reflection, I don't really like the idea. I just don't like the name, and I never have. It's old-fashioned, and I know my family will hate it too. The problem is, he has already told his siblings about our choice and they are really touched. What should I do? Now, Sinead and I disagreed on this today. Sinead was of the view that, you know, the woman may have been in a terrible position when the father was unwell and was under pressure to agree and therefore she's right. And 
I absolutely agree with your right to be wrong, Sinead. Everybody's entitled to their opinion and, you know, fair enough. If she told the man that she's going to name the child after his father, she should stick with it. Am I wrong? Anyways, they say in the Leaving Cert, discuss. Final one for you. Joe Biden, you may have heard him on the nine o'clock news defending his memory. And he was giving a press conference, a rather defiant one, when yesterday he uh, managed to escape what was a huge controversy. He was investigated as to how he may have mishandled classified documents, going all the way back to the 1970s when he was a senator. And the special counsel, Robert Herr, issued his report and he acknowledged Mr Biden's willingness to cooperate and decided not to press ahead with a prosecution on the basis that Mr Biden would likely present himself to a jury as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. And so Mr Biden came out guns blazing and had a press conference in which he was very composed and uh, he managed to say in emphatic terms that he didn't have a bad memory. In his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president and I put this country back on its feet. That's, that's your what memory has gotten worse? My memory is not gotten My memory is fine. What you don't hear there is the very last question at the end of the press conference. It was a query about Gaza. And so he talked about his efforts to get humanitarian aid into the country. And he reminded the journalists that the president of Mexico, El Sisi, did not want to open the gate to humanitarian aid, and I convinced him to do so. The only problem there is Fatah El Sisi is the president of Egypt not Mexico. Oh, dear. Anyway, weather-wise, outbreaks of rain today. Expect some heavy, even possibly patches of flooding in a few parts of the Midlands. Temperature-wise, 4 to 8 degrees. Um, tomorrow, though, a little bit better. Cold night in store first, though. But as we head into Saturday... A warmer day, temperatures of 7 to 10 degrees. Still a few showers around, but a bit more scattered. And the weekend in general, fairly mixed. Sunday, probably the better day of the two. If you picture any of our major provincial towns here in the Midlands, Portlaoise, Athlone, Mullingar, if there's going to be a massive change to the town centre, naturally it gets people talking. And we're in a housing crisis, so 204 apartments... That is something that a lot of people will be very keen to see delivered, especially if it comes along with about 20 commercial and retail units to maybe bring in brands that previously hadn't been in the town. But will everybody be happy with what is proposed for the former Texas site in Tullamore? Well, you'll meet the man with all the plans after these. Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. In 15 minutes, the River Suck, which is one of the tributaries to the Shannon, a whole stretch from Ballinasloe down towards the river, becoming a dumping ground 
apparently for the last 15 years, but of late it has become especially bad. You'll hear more about that situation, and if there's a similar one where you live, let's maybe shine a spotlight on it. Also more details about this agreement into which Ireland has entered with NATO. Not a step in the door of NATO membership, according to the government. And if you are somebody, particularly a woman in the community, who fills out the forms for the Development Association, who calls the meetings for the Child Care Committee, who seems to be the glue that holds the place together, have you ever thought about running for election? More on that a little later. The developer behind a massive residential and commercial proposal says he wants to bring life back into the heart of Tullamore. Kyan Holdings wants planning permission for 204 apartments and 20 commercial and shop units on land between Patrick Street and Kilbride Street. The Distillery Yard and D.E. Williams House Project, as it will be known, will see new cafes, restaurants and a childcare facility if it is given the green light by Offaly County Council. Seamus and Anthony Kane have been telling Midlands 103's Cameron Clark how their plans for the project came about. Yeah, it's a site that we purchased a few years ago and um, we've been looking to something, do something really special in the town of Tullamore. We realised the difficulties in Tullamore with business interests ourselves, we have a shop in Patrick Street and we can see that, you know, Tullamore at the weekends is losing footfall big time and we also see that uh, evening time, you know, I mean, after 6.30, the town centre itself has, you know, becomes dead. <clears throat> it's a pity, you know, I mean, because Tullamore is a fantastic town. I moved to Tullamore back in the 1980s and, you know, like I lived on Short Street above Freddie Shoe Shop for a good number of years. In fact, my kids was born there, Anthony and the Quinns. So, um, yeah, it was interesting that time when Tullamore Town Centre actually had a town centre community and that seems to have been lost. And I think it's time that, you know, we try to regenerate the centre of town. I think it's time that we take a look at, you know, providing homes or providing accommodation in centre of town and sort of get a town centre community back in and get the town alive again. So let's delve into that, the homes part of it. So how many homes are you planning to build? Uh, in this development we have here, we're just 200 plus uh, units in it, um, all apartments, you know, like so... Um, it seems to be the way that, you know, people want to live and Anthony there, he'll tell you from his generation, you know, like of what younger people are expecting, you know, so. Yeah, just younger people, I think they want an easier place to live, move in, no maintenance, less maintenance and just have an easier life. The work-life balance seems to be key and people seem to not want the front gardens anymore as much and just seem to want to live in more an urban environment. Like we see a lot of young people moving to Melbourne, Sydney, Australia, all living in apartments all around there, Dublin, Galway, etc. So I think the younger generation kind of want to live in a more urban environment and to create something like that in Tullamore is kind of something I'd love to see because I'm from the town, grew up in the town. and Yeah, it's just a, it's the next step in stone for Tullamore and I'd hope to bring that urbanism back into the town centre. One of those blocks is 13 storeys high and it may stick out maybe a little bit in a town like Tullamore. What's the reasoning behind the, the 13 storeys? Um... The first thing we need to do is we need to make the site work, right? And construction costs, everything that's gone up this last number of years, as everyone knows. Um, if you take a look at current apartment 
sales in Tullamore. There's very little selling, but the last few that sold are in around the 200, 210, 215,000 mark. Um, they're expensive to build. So, like, the only way you can get your costs down is by, you know, building more. Um, we went 13 stories, but it's important that we went 13 stories with one block. We didn't want to create, like, a Ballymun where we have six blocks, all six stories or seven stories and have the same number of units. So we wanted to turn around and give, you know, height and head and shoulders and, you know, something that's nice and well-designed and architecturally designed. And we've looked at the, the whole area and... Um, where people may get concerned, you know, about the 13 stories, like, and if they take a look at the, the photo massages that's done on the site, they can see there, if they're standing across at the credit union, looking up at D. Williams' house, they can't even see the 13 stories because it's above, you know, the, the, it's below the the ridge line of De Bruins or D. Williams. So, look, it's nothing to get afraid of. And as I said to you, to make the, the whole project viable, you know, we need a certain amount of uh, retail space. We need a certain square square footage of that, and we have almost four thousand, or I think it's four thousand two hundred square meters um, of retail. And it's important that we get the two hundred plus units on the site to make the whole thing justifiable at current construction costs and the current market trends within the Tullamore Midlands area. And especially for younger people, also as well, for affordability for their first home. Uh, it's a major thing for my generation. I'm 28 now, and it's again a major thing. A lot of people my age are trying to get into the market, and it has to be mortgageable for them people as well. And that's a huge that's a huge point to the cost and trying to keep construction costs down and make these affordable for younger people is key. It's a key part of the site, and youth is what will make this town. And to get young people buying their first home, buying their first apartment, not everyone can go and afford the big four bedroom detached house. And I don't think young people will get to that stage at this at this age anyway. So to make these affordable for young people and make a nice home and you know that's 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 the key point here to the site, and that is the reason we have to go up is to get that affordability. So the apartments aren't the the only part of this project. You're also looking to build a sizable enough um, commercial premises. Can you tell me a bit about those plans? Yeah, as I said, there, there's I think four thousand plus uh, square meters of commercial retail, food and beverage, and uh, yeah, we do want to attract a footfall back in the centre of town. We want to take a look at retail trends. Do you know what I mean? Like, and retail trends also has to change a little bit too. You know what I mean? Like, shops opening at nine o'clock and closing at five o'clock or half five or six o'clock. You know, it can stay a little bit later, but you need to turn around and offer something. Do you know what I mean? To justify having them retail units open a little bit later. And within this development, we have created uh, a quite large realm, you know, of public realm space. And like this realm space there is as big as O'Connor Square in Tullamore and we'd like to see different things coming into that square we'd like to why can Tullamore not have a, an ice rink from the 1st of November to the 20th of February why can we not draw people in from the hinterlands from Port Harlington Port Leash Burr Kilcormick Kilbegan Athlone you know anywhere into Tullamore in the evening times with their family go ice skating have good food and beverage uh, facilities uh, around that square and also have retail facilities around that square. So I think, you know, we have to get the footfall back in Tullamore. You know, we have to get the, the weekend, we have to get the evening time, we have to get the town alive again. Do you know what I mean? And it was alive one time, those buses from everywhere coming to Tullamore back years ago, whether it was to Coos Nightclub or Stringfellows or the Spiders, whatever. So, like, Tullamore is known for a destination. It's just lost its way a little bit and I think, you know, 
this here, possibly, with the town getting behind it, you know what I mean, and helping to try and create these sort of activities within the public realm space that we have and the retail and food and beverage surrounding it, it will work and it will bring that footfall back. So you said you're you're targeting, I suppose, the a bit of an, an evening um, kind of space. We're trying to bring that back into Tullamore. Does that mean you're going to be looking towards hospitality, you know, restaurants, that sort of thing, so that it's not just closing at five o'clock in the evening? You're going to give something for people to do after that. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a mixture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do want the food beverage to mix well with retail and to get that space alive from 9am in the morning till 12 at night and to get people on the street, it's fully pedestrianised. Um, that's one major thing. So pedestrian comfort is a major thing we looked at as well. So it'd be nice to sit out and have a coffee and you don't have cars driving by. That was one major thing we looked at in the whole uh, design of the whole thing and it's pedestrian comfort. We actually had a lot of wind analysis reports and stuff to make sure that it's comfortable when you're sitting out having your coffee or if you're open at night as a as a venue or whatever, the, the square can be closed off as well so that it's fully pedestrianised and stuff. But yeah, the key is to make it work for retailers fully from morning, noon to night and have footfall there at all hours. And that'll also, that'll also branch over into the existing retail in town. I want to bring them existing streets back alive again. I think with this site here, it'll, it branches onto the two main streets in town and Patrick and William Street and hopefully it'll gain footfall because you have to enter our site through them two streets anyway. So hopefully it'll bring the footfall to the rest of the town also. So just one last question before I, I let you go, lads. I understand you're in the early stages and it's yet to even go through the planning process. But let's say, best case scenario, this, you know, it goes through the planning stages quick, you know, relatively quickly and you get the green light to be able to build. How soon could you be looking at starting development on this? At this moment in time, we're in the planning process now we've had a good few we're under the LRD process so we've had our pre-planning meetings whatever it is uh, 247 247 meetings with Offaly County Council uh, Offaly County Council and Fairness have been very supportive they've come back uh, with you know their expectations of the site what they want to see for the site we have used the draft that um, uh, Offaly County Council produced back a few years ago within that draft they wanted to see something in that site like you would see in Victoria Square in Belfast or you'd see in other major urban areas. Um, we've took that on board. In fact, the uh, architects, uh, BTP, uh, led by Michael Mullen and uh, Johnny Nugent, um, they were actually the architects involved in Victoria Square. They were involved in Liverpool One. They've been involved in a lot of uh, developments here in Ireland. They've just got a new uh, urban area uh, beside the railway station in Galway. Um, so, like, we we want to turn around and try and, uh, you know, listen to them, listen to what other towns are doing, how other towns are achieving, what their end goal is, which is no different than Tullamore. And uh, if we get through the planning process that we have now, uh, yes, it's possibly still a long way to go this year. People may not like this. People could object. And, um, yeah, well, it could go to Board Planola. It may not. We might get the go-ahead from Offaly County Council, I think, we possibly could have, if everything went 100%, we could have the planning mission achieved by, I think, the 2nd or the 3rd of April this year. Um, if that happens, well, then we're ready to start going out and investigating. Um, there'll be a lot of engineering drawings to be done afterwards, getting construction packs put out. But, yeah, we're ready to go with this if best everything case, goes well. Best case scenario, I'd say you're probably talking somewhere in the region of 2026. Yeah. Seamus and Anthony Kane. And, by the way, they're already beginning a development of... 103 homes on the Dangan Road in Tullamore. And 
I think the height of this could be the big talking point, and not just in Tullamore, but in any town. As they said during their interview, if you go up and if you have sufficient floors, then it keeps costs down and it brings up affordability. And so if you are to be able to buy apartments in not just Tullamore, any of our major provincial towns at an affordable price, perhaps the sacrifice that others have to make is that it is going to be a bit more imposing, it is going to be a bit taller. Is that something you can get on board with? When you call 0818 300 103 is the Midlands 103 comment line. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Midlands Today with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103. Now let's turn our attention away from what is certainly creating a lot of comment about Tullamore and the future of the town centre and whether something that amounts to 13 storeys of apartments and commercial and retail is a vibrant welcome addition or something that will be out of character with the area. Not ignoring your comments, we'll certainly come back to them. But in a very different part of the Midlands, much more rural, much more isolated, the River Suck flows from Ballinasloe down into the River Shannon Beautiful picturesque area, but also where you have, unfortunately, isolated pockets, you have the opportunity to dump. And many, it seems, are taking this opportunity too readily. Billy Gallagher lives in the village of Dysart, which is only a few miles where much of this is taking place. You might know Billy from his work with Animal Haven Ireland, which is based in Athlone. Billy, good morning. Good morning. Tell us what you've noticed for about 15 years, but what has become particularly bad recently. Yeah, I, I presume it was the, what we'd call it the after Christmas dumping. Um, there was a huge amount of um, household rubbish dumped. Um, nappies, everything you, you could think of, bed, beds, mattresses. Um, there was a massive amount of stuff. It would have taken two lorries um, in the 20 councils to, to remove it all, you know. And like, what sort of rubbish are we talking about? Is is it mainly domestic, or are there large white goods, mattresses? Well, yeah, there's 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 two areas. Uh, most of the household rubbish, like um, you know, be like black pin bags. Um, they don't stay closed too long because the the birds come along and and, and you know rip them open and mm. there's stuff everywhere, you know. But uh, that's on the, the Galway side of the river. So on the uh, the Roscommon side, there's um, there would be like uh, builders rubble, like uh, like stone, soil, bushes, brick, mortar. You you know you name it, and it goes up into heaps up to ten foot high. So they're just dumping on both sides of the river, you know, and it's it's, it's really disgusting at this stage, you know. So. Two local authorities have work to do here, uh, given the nature of the river splitting the border. And I assume there's no CTV in the area. There isn't. Um, there's warning signs there that you'll be fined, and they, they use the warning sign as a convenient location to dump the stuff, as far as I can see. Um, and it, 
as I said, it's been going on since I, ever I lived here. It was 15 years, and um, it, it never seems to stop. Uh, the, only, the only way to stop it is, um, I would say, is CCTV. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, as we know, that's limited due to data protection, and they are going oh, to change know, the I rules know. around that, but it's a slow process to agree the new, the new rules. In the meantime, who's cleaning it up, Billy? Unfortunately, it's the, the county council, and it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a job I wouldn't like to be paid to do, you know, because it's, um, particularly with nappies and used nappies and all that type of stuff, you know. It's, um, and it's taxpayers' money that's being used to, to clear up other people's rubbish, you know. I'm thinking as well from a tourism point of view, many boats will use the Shannon during the summer months, tourists from... Germany and, and mainland Europe and some of those will navigate up towards Ballinasloe as well. It must well, leave do, an awful impression. It, yeah, well our area, the council, have um, built car parks and, and, and gates for people to access the river for fishing, you know. I often see them pulling up with um, boats and, um, you know, to go up and down the river and there's another car park there where um, people can... Um, and 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 uh, fishing. I I seen them staying over weekends in tents uh, and um, putting it up at the riverbank. And you know you see Dublin Reg, you see Reg registrations from all over Ireland. Mm. And um, you know the council spend a lot of money in this area, and there there are plans now to put up um, cycle lanes and, and and walking lanes, you know, all around the bog because it's the bog is being rewetted again. Um, curlews are coming back. It's 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 a it's a special area of conservation, you know, as well. So it's it's, it's a really beautiful area, and it's it is it's being spoiled totally by this flight dipping, you know. Well, we'll follow up with both local authorities. Unfortunately, it's possibly falling between two stools as far as enforcement is concerned. But Billy, thank you for drawing attention to it. No problem. Billy Gallagher, who lives in the village of Dysart, and if you're also in the area, please share your views on what a possible solution might be. Uh, CCTV seems like an obvious technical way of monitoring who's doing what, but as you know, there are the data protection restrictions there, and, well, which is the lesser of two evils? Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today... One of the world's biggest YouTubers is in the Midlands this week. You'll hear from an eyewitness as KSI surprised the staff of Life on Tuesday. Also, nationally, EV car loans have... But is that true of the Midlands? I think we're slower adopters, are we? Plus a good outcome for Dermot, who called us on Wednesday, having been disconnected by Vodafone. Uh, but their engineer didn't come to his house to make the necessary adjustments as agreed. But thankfully, after calling this programme, he got a good outcome. Anyway, more on that a little later. By the way, if you are particularly a woman who is really the glue holding everything together in your community, or even if you just pitch in, you're there for the local community council meetings, you're organising the fundraisers, the cake sales. You're the one filling out all those forms for county council funding applications. Have you ever thought about running for election? And if you're shaking your head, 
Why? Because take Offaly, it's always cited as being one of the most imbalanced councils in the country. But you are totally outnumbered if you're a woman on Offaly County Council. And yet, women in society, more or less 50-50, isn't it? Anyway, more on that a bit later. Front of the Irish Times today, Ireland entering a new agreement with NATO, the purpose of which is to protect subsea infrastructure, those fibre-optic cables connecting Europe with America, from threats by Russia. Uh, we've had many instances of Russian vessels hovering around those cables for purposes unknown. But is it bringing us one step closer to NATO membership outright? The government denies this. Well, let's ask Cockleberry. He's an independent TD for Kildare South. He's a former army ranger and a member of the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee and, I suppose for balance, we should point out, often votes with the government. Deputy Berry, good morning. Good morning, Will. I suppose it's helpful to explain what sort of protocols were already in place which this new agreement will take over from. Yeah, great great question, Will. So Ireland joined the Partnership for Peace, which is a, a NATO entity, really. That was, we joined there about a quarter of a century ago, back in 1999, and that allowed a, a framework for Ireland to cooperate as a neutral nation and with a defence alliance from a peacekeeping and from an overseas service point of view. It looks like we have now signed up to something a little bit more enhanced. Again, the only information I have is what's on the front page of, of the Irish Times, which is highly unusual. So the Iraqis Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee haven't received any briefing in any shape or form in relation to this. Um, and that's something that needs to happen as soon as possible as a result. Well, is that not a bit unsettling that... When it is a matter concerning neutrality, which is such a sensitive topic for so many citizens, who in effect then made the deal? Very good question. Again, we don't really know. Presumably it was the Defence Minister at a meeting. Um, but again, this is not the way to do business. And as you rightly said, this is a sensitive issue for the Irish public. It should be done in a very transparent fashion. And leaking information to a newspaper is not the way to do business. Um, it's very sloppy. It's unprofessional. And if there is to be tweaks to Ireland's defence arrangements, it should be done in good order. So what should happen is there should be a, a formal briefing uh, the Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee in relation to what the issues are. Um, and then we should take it from there into plenary session into the Dáil Chamber. Um, this, is, this is not the way to do business at all. And uh, we need to get that briefing as soon as possible. Well, according to the newspaper reports, we'll assume it's accurate. The deal will last until 2028, it will give Ireland access to perhaps more sensitive intelligence from NATO than we currently have access to. So how would that be useful? What scenarios might it apply to? Yeah, so just if there was a specific threat against a specific fibre optic cable. So, so Ireland is an island nation. There's about a dozen fibre optic cables coming into our island and they manage everything from banking transactions to, to the, the use of the smartphone that I'm using now currently speaking with you. If there's a specific threat against one of those cables or one of our gas pipelines coming in or one of the electricity interconnectors, we could take preventative action and provide a maritime presence out there to, to keep any uh, untoward actor away. So specific information in relation to that. But, then but isn't that really the elephant in the room then? That even if we have access to this information, 
can we respond? Do we have the manpower to uh, get a vessel to sea in a timely fashion, get out to wherever this threat may be and neutralise it? Um, so the answer to your question is no, we don't. Uh, Ireland, incredibly, uh, can only put two naval ships to sea at any one time. And 15 years ago, uh, I was on an exercise where there was eight Irish naval vessels. So even in 15 years, uh, our Navy has been se- severely depleted. Um, so look, it, it's not the way uh, to go about this in any shape or form. It, it kind of feeds this erroneous narrative that there's something untoward happening, which there isn't. Like, I'm, I'm in favour of the substance of this arrangement, um, but I'm talking against the manner in which it was communicated, or not communicated, I should say, more accurately. Uh, I mean, last year, we got a, a classified, confidential, behind-closed-doors briefing by the Chief of Staff at the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee in relation to the precarious state of our naval service. And that's precisely what should happen now in this instance as well. Um, the Chief of Staff should be allowed to come in and she gave an excellent briefing the last time and that should be done as soon as possible and hopefully next week. There's an organisation in the UK which Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, once worked for, Policy Exchange. It's one of these think tanks. And earlier this week it released a report, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, it accused Ireland of persistent security freeloading are they right? They're 100% right. And we should always, I know this, look, this is a British report written from a British perspective. Yeah, and that may make us bristle, oh, yeah. but to be objective. Absolutely, I, I agree entirely. We should always distinguish between the source and the merits of an argument. And the merits are 100% true. Um, Ireland is like, it, it's like um, uh, a fellow going out for pints with their neighbours. And when it comes to buying a round of drinks, uh, Ireland never buys around the drinks, um, but they, they take drinks from everybody else. And then the following morning, to add insult to injury, uh, they, they mock their friends for having supported the drinks industry. That's, that's the analogy that's, that's best used, and it's, it's really grating with our European partners. Ireland should be a net contributor um, from a defence and security point of view, but we're a net taker. So say, for instance, there's a, an evacuation operation, international evacuation operation taking place next week. Ireland should be in a position to offer seats on our aircraft to smaller nations and less well-off nations, but that's not what happens. Uh, Ireland rings around and begs for seats for their troops and for their citizens to get back. And again, that's not professional, and that's, that's impacting Ireland's reputational, um, uh, reputation abroad. Where is this leading? You've been in the Dáil now for four years and I know you've always tried to um, make cases for the Defence Forces. That's ultimately the background you come from. Um, But do you sense there's a change or or progress or are we more or less where we were in 2020 when you took office? So from an international perspective, where is it going from a, from a NATO cooperation point of view? Um, I, I don't think it's, there's any major policy in any shape or form. We just seem to be drifting along. Um, but I, I would use the analogy, like it's like the Garda Shikana signing up to Europol. So, so the guards are linked in with Europol, um, but that doesn't mean that the European continent has a federal police force. It's like our universities are... Uh, linked up with the Erasmus programme. Um, but that doesn't mean we have a single third-level institution system either. So the Irish Defence Forces linking in with a, a continental arrangement, that makes perfect sense from a mutual benefit point of view. Yes, but the, the, but the difference is, I suppose, we have a police force. OK, it mightn't have as many in the ranks as some would like, but nevertheless, there's a reasonable complement. 
lots of technical disciplines and, and those are full um, and, and there hasn't been a massive um, brain drain to the extent we've seen in the defence forces where the private sector has picked off the engineers and, and the various other disciplines. The Gordia are in much better shape and I don't mean that disrespectfully to the individual soldiers but systemically it's far better resourced than our defence forces. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. And you can just look at the makeup of the current cabinet, for instance. Um, we have two standalone education ministers, Norma Foley and Simon Harris. And we don't have a standalone defence minister. Um, so Michal Martin is doing five other jobs as well as the defence minister. And you can't do all that work and expect to be uh, efficient at it. Um, probably more concerning still is we have a, an appointed Minister for State at the Department of Defence, uh, who's Peter Burke, who, who have quite good time for, but he has absolutely no powers delegated to him in any shape or form. So the political governance of the Defence Forces is appalling, um, and that's one of the reasons it's in the current state. The, the second reason is resourcing. The resourcing is, is very, very poor. Um, we have we spend about one third on defence and security uh, in comparison to our other EU counterparts. So if, if Ireland was spending one third of, of the norm uh, on health or one third of the norm in an education, uh, you could you could imagine how much of a disaster those two sectors would be. They're, they're bad enough as they are, and that's the reason why the defence forces are are not at their optimum uh, capability in any shape or form, because the political governance is poor and the resourcing hasn't been there and hasn't been there for for decades. I, I'd always well, say. Let, let me it, just propose a scenario for the sake of discussion. The health system when it was overwhelmed and couldn't deal with waiting lists, developed the National Treatment Purchase Fund, and so treatment could be bought overseas. In that sense, why not write a cheque to NATO and accept that we are incapable of defending ourselves to the extent that we would wish and we need to pay partners instead? No, I totally understand that argument. What's what's needed, however, is that you have at least a basic function capability yourself, so an autonomous, sovereign capability. And then if you wanted additional uh, support, you can interact with a regional security actor. It's like being in a housing estate. Every house is expected to lock their own doors and windows at night and maybe have an intruder alarm. But should you wish to join a neighbourhood watch type scheme, that's uh, an additional layer of security. So to answer your question, Every country, every sovereign country should have a basic capability themselves. But if they wish to, uh, uh, I guess, reach out to a, a wider collective security arrangement, that should be regarded as a bonus, uh, an addition to their, to their additional capability. Iceland might disagree with you. Yes, uh, that's certainly an option. Um, but I don't think that would be appropriate for Ireland's particular circumstances. I, I should clarify for anybody I, unfamiliar, Iceland is a country without a military, but it does have security arrangements with organisations such as NATO. Correct, and they have a NATO airbase called Keflavik just next to Reykjavik. So NATO aircraft, for instance, are, are based in Iceland. And NATO troops are based in Iceland. And they provide security for Iceland. But I, I think I would have a good, I suppose, sense of what the mood of the Irish public is. They're very proud of their defence forces. They would like their defence forces to be appropriately resourced. And then on a case-by-case basis, we should interact with our neighbours 
when it's in Ireland's interest to do so. So it is mutually beneficial for both NATO and Ireland to enter into this arrangement, but the benefit is heavily weighted towards Ireland because our armed forces are, are so, so poorly resourced. And we know from the government that they will always put out a press release, and, and not just this government, but previous governments as well, that look, defence is a priority, we look after our armed forces, but don't look at the, the press releases. Always look at the, the composition of the cabinet um, and the accounts, the national accounts, the budget, that will tell you, that will reveal what a government's true priorities are. And unfortunately, the composition of the current cabinet and the budget for the Defence Forces, which is $1.25 billion for this year, is grossly inadequate. And, and as a result, the Defence Forces are suffering disproportionately. Cahill Berry, appreciate your time and your thoughts. Thank you very much for taking the call. Thanks, Will. Cahill Berry is an independent TD for Kildare South and a member of the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee. Your thoughts. And by the way, I'm going to get to your comments on that development proposed for the heart of Tullamore, a formula that may be replicated elsewhere in order to get apartments at affordable prices. Well, if you can't build out, build up. And this is going to be high rise if it is approved. Is that what we just have to accept? The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. Here's some reaction to the plans by Seamus and Anthony Kane to redevelop that site in Tullamore, which for years has been idle. Used to be Quinsworth, Tesco, Texas. Depends how far back you want to go. But... It's going to be very different if their plans are approved by Offaly County Council. 13 storeys. So much higher than anything for miles and miles around. Not sure what height the Sheraton Hotel in Athlone scales to, but you're talking something similar. And the response has been very mixed because with 200 apartments as part of the plan, it will bring a lot of people onto the property ladder for the first time. And again, the aim of high-rise is it'll be that bit more affordable. So here's a selection of comments anyway from Catherine, who is from Mount Melick, by the way, but whenever she goes to Tullamore and she sees that site, it depresses her. She says anything will be better than the way it is at the moment. A different listener cannot understand why somebody would want to live in high-rise. And also her concern is that private investors will buy in, rent to the county council and to charitable organisations, and there will be social problems as a result. Duncan, who's from Shinron, which is a rural area, feels it's one way to ruin a skyline. It won't be in keeping with the surroundings. It will be a monstrosity. But a different caller listening to Seamus Cain, says this is exactly what Tullamore needs, a shot in the arm. And another person says, it's wonderful to hear of the development. It'll brighten up the whole area, which has been an eyesore for years. Different caller says, the town needs it, and if anybody is going to do it right, it will be the Cain family. Everything they have done in Tullamore has turned out to be brilliant. So bring on the high-rise. It's what young people need. Another text, who in their right mind would want to live there with no open green areas, high-rise, 
All this talk makes it sound like a dreamland, but I think the reality will be very different, says the text. The final message from James in Clonminch, this sounds like an excellent idea for the badly needed regeneration of Tullamore Town Centre and for energy to be put back into our urban landscape. Way too many derelict areas that urgently need utilisation. But I think if those texts are any indicator, the planning file is going to be a fairly full one with different views, support objection, but certainly it's got people talking, at the very least. Anyway, in any community, you have people who are the doers. And certainly I know where I live, in Clombalogue, and she's going to blush when I mention, but Maura Allen, Maura Allen is the woman who is always filling out the forms, knocking on the doors, getting things done. And there are Maura Allens in every single community in the Midlands who sit on committees, who make the funding applications, who are there organising the public meetings and trying to rally the troops. And, you know, she would have made a great politician. I'm not sure why she never went for it. But there are many women who don't put themselves forward. And that's why you end up with situations such as in Offaly County Council, where women are grossly outnumbered. And it is true right across the Midlands, unfortunately. Yet in society, you more or less have a 50-50 split between men and women. So I want you to meet Independent Senator Sharon Keohan, who is launching a nationwide campaign which rolls into the Tullamore Court Hotel in a month's time. Sharon, good morning. Good morning to you, Will, and good morning to all your listeners. And we've talked, by the way, with See Her Elected and other such efforts. What are you hoping to do? Well, the government every year gives uh, money to increase participation for women uh, to go into politics. Um, That is open to all political parties. So this year, as an independent, I put in an application to try and encourage independent women to get involved in local democracy. Um, And if Maura Allen is listening to you and listening to our programme this morning, please contact me, uh, because that's what communities need. And throughout Ireland, we need lots of Maura Allens, uh, people that get out there, that will look after their communities, look after their people, and be there to fill in those forms and do their ve- do the very best they can for their community, and that's what Luke. You realise she is going to murder me now, by the way. I I, I have no idea who Maura Allen is, <laughs> and if she does murder you, I mean to speak so lovely about a, a female that's a, a very very involved in our community and and puts our heart and soul into that community. They're the type of women that we want to get involved in politics, and we, no no woman should ever shy away from that. And I think we we don't we don't shine our light enough. Uh, women in general, there are many obstacles there why we don't get involved in politics. And I think we having a workshop, trying to encourage women, trying giving them, give, give them support. Um, there's no point me getting up the ladder and not trying to pull up some of the, the, the women mm. of the country with me. But so we've, we've that's seen the workshop change, Sharon, and we've seen progress in, in other aspects of society. And broadcasting, for instance, is far more balanced than it used to be. Business some of the finest business minds and highest achievers are women. But in politics, there's still a reluctance. And what's your sense of why? Well, I suppose there's a number of reasons. I mean, 
first of all, women are mainly the primary caretakers when it comes to the home and, you know, minded children at home and they, they might have commitments at home. Um, also, for local government, the pay is not great, but it's a lot better than when I was in 20, 2019. I mean, it was 17,500. Now it's gone up to 28, almost 29,000. It, it's not a living wage. I have a lot of work to do on that. Um, but I'm prepared to do that uh, because I, I believe the role is a full-time role um, and and you should get full-time paid. The, you know, a living wage is what you should be getting out of it. But that obviously is an obstacle. The wages, the the, the, the money that is allocated to, to local government and to people that run in politics. So it's not a living wage. So that might put people off because it is very time-consuming. Your days start, it could be 6, 7 o'clock in the morning when somebody might ring you when there's a burst pipe or something's after happening uh, with a road or, you know, emergency cases. You might get them very, very early in the morning. And it might, they might your phone might not stop ringing until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And that is the reality of local politics. Because I suppose when you are elected, people see you as a local leader. They, re- they, they rely on you to find solutions to the problems that they face. And you have to be there uh, when they seek that help. But I wonder, is there perhaps a darker concern as well? Because people in the community, in in development associations, their phones ring late at night too. But when you are putting your face on a poster, when you're on a ballot paper, it's nearly like putting a bullseye on your back. I know, yeah. And you have to be, I suppose, social media, and that's part of the training as well, you know, how to deal with social media, how to protect your reputation online. That's part of the training workshop that, uh, that I'm focusing on with a, with a coach called Wayne Denner. It, it is tough, you know, the online material that you, you, you can receive, the online um, comments that you can say, you see, uh, you know, can, can be hurtful if you allow that to get in on you. Um, it, can, it can hurt you. And maybe it's because I, at this stage, uh, I'm, I'm in it now about 10 years and I, I, I just ignore the noise at this stage because I know the work that I do and the value that I bring to the job. And those that are on keyboards rarely do anything in their lives um, to participate and be an active citizen within their communities. So I actually, I don't listen to them. I don't look at what they've said because it's irrelevant to me. But it, it is, you have to have a hard neck to go into politics. It, it, sounds, it sounds terrible to say that. But it really is, and, and for women in particular, because, you know, people judge us by our looks, judge us by our age, judge us by a, a number of factors um, that they'll criticise us on, uh, more so than men. Um, so, yes, you do have to be that little bit thick-skinned uh, to go into politics and, and be a female. Um, but there's plenty of strong females in, 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 out there that I know are up and willing to do the job. I mean... If you look at Verona Murphy, look at Catherine, Catherine Connolly. These, these are strong, independent women. Marion Harkin, Karen Nolan. So look, there are strong women out there that are willing to go above and beyond for their own community to, to make sure that their community are in the pecking order when it comes to infrastructure, whether it's getting that playground, getting those footpaths, getting those lights, getting those community centres, better facilities for your people. That, you know, and... I suppose I'm a little bit different. We've always operated. Um, we're on the ground with the people. I we, we have two offices in the two areas because I ran in 2019 and I was lucky enough to run in two municipal areas. I got two seats at, at, at county council level. I was able to co-opt another uh, female 
on right. to the council on the other That must be a unique side. achievement, is it? it was a, I was the first woman in Ireland to do it. But it can be done. The message to women out there, it can be done. If you put your heart and soul into your community and into your people and the area that you represent, the people will reward you tenfold. And I suppose that was a lovely thing about, you know, I got an acknowledgement for the work that I, I had done. I was able to bring somebody else on board uh, to represent that other area and assist me in that other area. And I'm assisting her now. And then when I got elected into the Shannon, I was able to co-opt another female mm. uh, into the council as well. So now from that one vote that people gave me, I have three people working on the ground serving the people. So um, it, it is tough. It can be done. Everything is achievable, but it does take hard work. And make no mistake about it, this is not an easy job to get involved in, but it is the most worthwhile, satisfying job I've ever done in my life. I could be a millionaire ten times over in business, but I've chosen this, I've chosen this path. Um, I love every day. Every day is different. You face different challenges every day. Um, whether it's a grant for an elderly person that is uh, has disabilities, whether it is finding that house for somebody after six or seven years on a housing list, whether it is helping that woman in domestic abuse to, to find a safe place. Um, there are many, many challenges that we can impact mm. uh, on people's lives when you're involved in local government. So, you know, if that sounds like a, a job that would give you f- f- fulfilment in life, as there's any women listening out there, Independent women. Um, if you would like to come along to the on the 9th of March to the Tullamore Court Hotel, I will give you the the tools that you need. I will sit with you with your campaign every single day until the election days to make sure that you uh, give um, a really good service to the people that you represent. And I will empower you for the next five years every single day uh, to be the best county councillor that you can be for your area. Yes, and just to clarify that date, it is Saturday the 9th of March. Saturday the 9th of March, that's right. I have one this, this, this Saturday in the City North Hotel in County Meath, in Gormanston, in County Meath. If that date suits other people, it might not. It's only tomorrow, so it might not suit people. Okay, well look, Sharon, there is a sense of momentum. I referenced See Her Elected earlier. There are yes. many efforts to try and get more women on the ballot paper this June and... Um, of all political persuasions, I, I really hope that translates. Thank you very much for taking our call. Thank you for having me on again, Will. My pleasure. Sharon Keohan, Independent Senator. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. The Phoenix Venue and Nightclub invites you to their next fundraiser, Back to the Harriers, the Valentine's Experience. And it's happening on Saturday week, the 17th. Tickets are €15 from willwego.com and you can check out Phoenix Tullamore on Facebook. Fonzie Mealy Auctioneers in Kilkenny present the Making Room Sale on Wednesday, the 21st of February. Over 400 quality and affordable lots on offer where you can dress your walls with paintings and prints. They also have ceramics, light fittings, carpets, rugs, unusual collector's items, as well as antique and modern furniture. See fonzimealy.ie for details. Awfully Search and Recovery holds a table quiz in Monsell's Bar, Tullamore, this evening at 8. A table of four is €40, Euro, with spot prizes available, all proceeds to the Awfully Search and Recovery Underwater team. Check them out on Facebook for details. 
Anamkara supports parents after bereavement and it will hold its next meeting in the Mullingar Park Hotel on Wednesday at 7.15 and they welcome any bereaved parent, regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances. No need to register, just arrive on the evening or see anamkara.ie in the meantime. And Samaritans hold a recruitment week in Leash and Kildare between the 15th and, excuse me, the 12th and the 15th of February. So if you want to become a listening volunteer, they'll give you full training, mentoring and support. And you can check out Samaritans Ireland on Facebook for more information. Now, if I miss something happening in your area, pick up that phone and call 0818 300 103 or email diary at midlands103.com. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormi Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie Disagree? Feel free. Text or WhatsApp Midlands Today yeah. on 083 103. Midlands 103. The Midlands will play a big role in the 2024 renewal of Ross Talton. The biggest stage race in Ireland will roll out from Tullamore on Wednesday the 22nd of May with riders racing through Burr and then on to finish in Kilmallock in Limerick. The peloton will then take six categorised climbs from Cork to Kerry on stage two while stage three, Kenmare to Care in Tipperary, will be mostly flat. Stage four is a bumpy 139 kilometres from Horse and Jockey to Kildare Town before a super fast final stage ends with three laps of a 14 kilometre circuit in Bective in Meath. Midlands 103 sports editor David Hollywood has been speaking with Donna McArdle to find out more. Oh, it's fantastic, David. Yeah, like we're, we're absolutely chuffed um, as a club to be honoured with the start and the ceremonial start from Tullamore Town. I, I think we've been rewarded with us maybe for our contribution to cycling at um, leisure level with what we've organised in events and also our, our uh, racing prowess and what we've, we've done. So to know that we're in a position that we can take on this, um, yeah, it's huge. It will be fantastic for the town. We will see the... The riders converged the uh, the night before at O'Brien Park, and we've had had massive help from uh, Michael Dighton, Tullamore GA, and Offaly GA in accommodating us. That race HQ would be at O'Brien Park and O'Connor Park, um, and a huge thanks to the guys. Like we we've had to rally in um, a lot of people in order for this to happen, and um, we've had huge help from Councillor Tony McCormack from the guards, from Offaly GA, and then we could finally go back to the Ross and say, yeah, listen, we're in a position to do this if he granted. And then, you know, we were hoping that everything would fall into place. And in our own club, then, Martina Martin, uh, who's chairperson and outgoing chairman, Dermot Milner, and myself had kind of formed a committee that we could present to the Ross that we were in a position to do it. And then you know, we were granted it and whatever, and we now have the wheels in motion. Um, It's a fantastic spectacle. The riders will be there the night before on the Tuesday night, which is team sign-in. Some of the local ones will come on the actual morning of the Wednesday, the 22nd of May, and then it rolls down to O'Connor Square, where there will be 
quite short but uh, civic ceremony and the ceremony will start and we'll go up High Street as the Maker Way South heading for Borneina and on to Kilmallock in Limerick for stage one. Uh, yeah, it, it should be absolutely fantastic. Let's talk about the race in terms of Midlands representation. Uh, sounds like we might have Midlands racing team back in action flying the Midlands flag uh, through the Ross Tolton again this year. Yeah, the, the Midlands racing team, uh, we're, we're back in. We, we've submitted our entry for the Ross. So that's, a, uh, I suppose, a kind of an idea that came up a couple of years ago between us in the Midlands Racing League that um, we were doing a kind of the odd stage race of Gory and Ross Moon and, you know, but we hadn't dipped into actually putting a team into the Ross. And we sat down and we, we put together a team and we... You know, there was massive um, fundraising and it was it went on for months with meetings every week and we got a team in and unfortunately we lost two riders on the first day through, through two separate incidents. But we did have the other three guys got through and finished really well um, and got through the, and got the Rosses. One guy, it was his eighth Ross, so he's with us again this year riding his ninth. And then we had one guy who had ridden one and everybody else was novice. Uh, Collie Clavin from Streamstown did his first one and put in a monumental ride last year uh, to get through the five days. So, yeah, we, we have a team. It's yet to be announced. Uh, we have a lot of um, a lot of figuring out to do yet. But there will be a local interest in the team from the Midlands. So the guys who ride Midland League racing, uh, it'll come from the Midland League so that's very exciting that we'll have the guys over uh, and starting in Tullamore Mm. and no doubt there will be a good show put on Well that's my final question Donna a good show put on okay it's on a Wednesday uh, when they're rolling out from the town but uh, it would be uh, presumably uh, everyone would be well served around the area to get down to O'Connor Square uh, for the uh, kind of civic start to the the whole race it's an historic moment uh, for uh, Tullamore and Offaly cycling and um, always an historic moment to get uh, this year's Ross up and running Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I know our chairperson, Martina Martin, in the club. I've met her several times on this. She she will leave no stone unturned. And we have a great committee within the club and we have a great club who are literally honoured to host this. And it will be fantastic. We're looking at getting the primary schools out to see it. But also, we get, it's, it's a lovely spectator thing. It's something that you don't see too often. You know, we see our football matches in the in the field and we see all sorts of things going on, but it's not something we see a huge amount of. And on the Tuesday evening uh, at O'Brien Park, we'll have the manager's meeting and the sign-on and then the ceremony, the start and the ceremony will start around 10, 30, 11 o'clock down to O'Connor Square on the Wednesday. Uh, definitely for people to come down and bring their camera and get a picture taken with the riders and then you know, be in a position then, as I say, I, I know that you will be on board with us following the race as it, as it um, rolls its way down the country. It's a fantastic achievement for Tullamore. It's a fantastic achievement for the cycling club in Tullamore that we've got this and we know what we have to do. It, it will be brilliant. Um, if we get a bit of good weather, which, you know, we can never predict because we got such a mixture last year as well. But we will do everything in our power to put on the best show we can do. And that's Donna McCardle.
Speaking with our sports editor, David Hollywood. Next, more details on that crash on the M6, which has left a six-year-old in hospital. Gorthy need your help to investigate. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. Six-year-old girl is being treated for serious injuries at Temple Street Hospital following a crash on the M6 yesterday. Our news editor Cameron Clark is here. What do we know, Cameron? So we know that the six-year-old girl was a passenger of a car during a single vehicle collision that was yesterday afternoon shortly after four o'clock um, between Junction 3 and Junction 4 on the M6 heading eastbound that's between Tyrrells Pass and Rotford Bridge um, an eyewitness account at the time said he believed the crash was quite serious at the time and with the news that the six-year-old girl is currently being treated for serious injuries at Children's Health Ireland at Temple Street that would I suppose back mm-hmm. up um, that point now, Gardaí have said that there were no other serious injuries reported. That doesn't rule out minor injuries, but um, by all accounts, the driver of the vehicle isn't um, in serious condition by any means. So the crash happened between Rochford Bridge and Tyrrells Pass. I gather it was on the eastbound lane of the M6. And are there... Uh, is traffic back to normal today or are there still diversions? No, so Gardaí say that the road will be closed for a period again today. It was closed overnight and this morning and it will remain closed while um, they carry out a technical examination at the scene. So there there are local diversions in place just before heading on to the motorway at um, Tyrrells Pass. That will likely be in place for a number of hours until this technical examination is conducted and completed. Um, in the meantime, Gardaí are asking for any witnesses to the collision to come forward, anyone who may have camera footage or were passively driving by and may have dash cam footage to make that um, available to Gardaí. Um, Mullingar Garda Station is the point of contact, but you can get in touch with any Garda Station or indeed the Garda Confidential Line. That's on 1-800-666-111. Excuse me. All right, well, I hope... And uh, our thoughts are very much with the family concerned. I hope there is a full recovery. Cameron, thank you very much for keeping us up to date and more information available on midlands103.com. Some of YouTube's biggest celebrities paid a visit to the Midlands this week. The boxer KSI and fellow content creator Toby Brown, who are both members of the Sidemen group. They were spotted in Lifestyle Sports in Portleash on Tuesday. KSI was seen carrying a leash jersey... Well, we don't really know why they were in the county. He's one of the founders of Prime Hydration. Maybe you... Kean Reddy, who's also a boss, posted a TikTok of the moment, which has sold 30,000 likes. And he explained... First, notice the commotion. I used to get my phone fixed, uh, tracks. I've seen a load of lads standing on my cameras. And this is... I've never got him a reception like this going in to get my phone fixed. So I went in to see what the story was. And then I popped KSI with a leash jersey on him. I said, where would you, where would you see this? Like, so that was kind of, kind of it. Like, and then I recorded the leash jersey on him on a phone on TikTok and the amount of people that were commenting and saying, where is he, where is he going and why is he here? And I said, um, I, he's, here, he's here so he can try on a leash jersey, like, obviously. And, um, and then I just said, uh, I think he wants to go into Supermax as well, and then everyone was messaging me asking where 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 is he? I'm in Supermax waiting for him. And I just oh no, 
I don't apologize to a few people, but that was really the story. Uh, do you know what they were they were doing around that day, apart from trying on a leash jersey, of course? Um, I think they were traveling traveling around Ireland or something, going through a few different towns or something. There, there's some bit of a thing they're doing. I don't actually have, know exactly what it is because um, I don't follow it that much, but there is a lot of comments on my TikTok saying they're traveling around the different towns in, in Ireland. And what was the, the atmosphere like in the lifestyle sports when they were there? I think everyone was just surprised. They were kind of wondering why is KSI in, in Port Leash of all places. And was it just him or was there someone else there too? There, there's a, there was a couple of them and then there was, they had their own person going around with a camera. So when somebody's okay. going, kind of going around with a camera, it kind of draws a bit of attention to you. And then being KSI, I suppose, they, um, they drew a lot of attention and everyone was standing there with the cameras and recording them and stuff so it was a bit of a laugh like and it was just kind of a, a sense of shock around the place I suppose So keep an eye on YouTube Port Leash perhaps being highlighted on one of the biggest challenge, uh, channels in the world very soon Love the Midlands Good morning. Friday panel shall be here in the next few minutes and I think one of the big talking points that letter in the newspaper today from a woman who had agreed with her husband to name their firstborn child after his late father but now she's changed her mind. Mm. One of the modern morals we shall discuss along with the week's Serious news, too. The measles outbreak that, uh, unfortunately, has claimed the life of a man from County Westmeath in the last few days. But also trying to keep that in context, it is, while tragic, a very, very rare event. Small businesses, a new guide on how to set up in 2024. So maybe that was your New Year's resolution and you're finally taking the plunge. Well, we have a number of business people on the panel who might be able to share their own views. And that's time. The Banking and Payments Federation monitors all sorts of ways in which you spend your money because they track the loans, the car loans, the home improvement loans, the various reasons you might borrow to go on holidays, to splurge at Christmas, whatever it might be. But now this is a national picture, I should stress. The picture is a huge increase in car loans compared to 2022, a 40% increase or €189 million drawn down. And they're saying in the Irish Independent today that much of this is fuelled by the switch to electric cars. And that got me thinking. When you look at Offaly year on year, for instance, electric car growth was negative was up a little bit in Westmeath and up a little bit in Leash, but is this necessarily the trend in the Midlands? Let's ask Tom Allen. He's the manager at North Midlands Credit Union. Morning, Tom. Morning, Will. Good morning to your listeners. Are you seeing a surge in car loans and green loans, or is this more of a Dublin phenomenon? Well, I think we are seeing a, a, a surge in lending. We've seen a surge in lending across all categories of loans. Uh, I think that report that you mentioned there, it's up to the, uh, is it up to the end of last September? Correct. Uh, and Between July uh, and September. Yes, yes. And, and 
in the year to September, which our credit unions years are all finishing in the end of September, the the amount of money we gave out here last year was a record for the credit union. Um, so and and looking across our colleague credit unions or and neighbouring credit unions, uh, that that seems to be the same trend everywhere, and it has continued um, post that right up to uh, right up to um, the last couple of days. Uh, I was just looking at the figures, and we are we are giving out much more money uh, across all categories of loans than we would have uh, in this time last year or over the past few years. So yes, huge. Uh, Huge spending, and and our two biggest um, categories would be the home improvement type loans and car purchases. Well, that that preempts my question because I, I was thinking, well, credit unions are trying to get more and more into the mortgage space, so that might inflate the loan book. But no, it's still very much the bread and butter in home improvements and cars. Yes, yes, and I suppose their credit unions are becoming. Um, more involved in in the mortgage lending, and we have pl- big plans uh, nationally to do a lot more uh, in the mortgage space. Now we are restricted the levels of um, mortgages that we're allowed to give out, the percentages of our assets that we're allowed to give out in mortgages under rules by the central bank is limited. Uh, but we would have scope, and we and increasingly over the last couple of years, and um, we've given out more and we see a huge demand now for credit union mortgages. I suppose that's partly driven now by the increases in the mortgage rates everywhere else, whereas the credit unions, I suppose, uh, have been steady. We haven't increased ours. Um, in the last uh, time we moved, we actually moved down a couple of years back and we haven't increased at all. And, I, and that would be a kind of familiar story in the other credit unions. So the demand that coming to credit unions now for mortgages, I'd say, is because they're they're much more competitive than they would have been in the past. In the future, we hope to have a much better offering and a much more widespread offering uh, through credit unions throughout the country. But you're right, the bread and butter is still the personal lending. A large proportion of our whole loan book would be uh, personal lending across a huge category of, of uh, lending. I think the article mentioned wedding loans, and uh, like we, we we've given out almost half a million in in wedding loans uh, this. The last wow. few months, so, you know, uh, but everything is getting more expensive, as you know. Ah, uh, yes, um, yes. But consumer sentiment this year is on the rise, and that would suggest that you should exceed what was done in twenty twenty three. Yeah, which makes last year's figures impressive because people were worried about the cost of living. There was perhaps some pulling back in many households, but equally, then if. You're buying a car. That's a discretionary upgrade for a lot of people. And the home loan for, you know, the, the green upgrade, the solar panels, whatever, that, that's something that's, again, a bit discretionary. So it suggests perhaps people were more confident than the popular narrative suggested. Yes, but I suppose, um, like people and, and credit unions as an organisation, we'd be cautious in lending, we'd be conservative Um we wouldn't want to see people take on debt that you know it's going to come back to bite them down the, down the line. Uh, and for those bigger ticket items, I suppose people are cautious. They try to think it through. Uh, you're right about the the cars, and, and an awful lot of people just need a car to go to work and uh, live their lives normally. And then, of course, you if you're talking about electric and whatever else, they've got very expensive. Uh, but we are seeing more and more people 
taken the plunge there uh, with large loans uh, and buying new or uh, fairly new electric cars. Um, and that those amounts can be fairly substantial. Yeah, but the prices are coming down on many of the electric brands. Competition from the Chinese in particular, driving that. Volkswagen, yeah, the yeah. ID4, which has been Ireland's most popular, best-selling electric car, down €12,000 year on year. So, and that well, that's no obviously harm because it had gone very, yeah. Well, it's no harm unless you're a second-hand owner. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, then the um, argument uh, is that it's, you know, again, if the new price is down and you're a second-hand owner, the gap is still the same to trade up. So, yeah, it's only if you're trading to something else that you you feel the loss. Yeah. What's your outlook for twenty four? Well, I think we're very positive. Um, we, we, like we have a, uh, we have loads of money to lend, and we have lots of people who want to borrow it. Um, and I suppose people, you know, particularly again, go back to the larger items, and people think these things out, and we encourage people to think these things out well before they they make any decisions about going spending. Uh, but a lot of people, are, the, the green the green agenda, I think, is beginning to take roots. You know, it's like it's been spoken about a, a lot, and you have ministers, and you have all kinds of, of, of reports and whatever. But not that I wouldn't say an awful lot had been done over the last few years. But it is beginning to take hold, and we see uh, quite a bit of our home, uh, our home improvement type loans now. It's tending to trend towards trying to do things that will improve the the environmental part, uh, agenda in their house, you know, uh, be it solar panels or uh, those kinds of upgrades. So we're positive on that. Tom, grateful for your time. Thank you very much for taking the call. Tom Allen is the manager of the North Midlands Credit Union. You may remember on Wednesday we had a call from Dermot in County Offaly and He was frustrated, and rightly so. He had decided to move his telephone services from Air to Vodafone, and Vodafone had agreed to send out an engineer. However, despite him being disconnected, the engineer didn't arrive, and he had obviously set aside several hours of his day for this purpose, and indeed he was left without his broadband, and his wife works from home. That was a huge problem for her and his elderly mother-in-law was left without her pendant alarm in case she should have a fall. That was a huge concern. So this is what happened after he appeared on this programme. Yesterday afternoon I got a call from um, a woman called Siobhan in Vodafone and she said she would look into it and come back to me as quickly as possible. Um, She was probably back to me within the hour and said that she was working to get... um, the situation resolved and it would be expedited quickly. At about six, little after six yesterday evening then, I got a phone call from an engineer to say that he would be with me within half an hour. Uh, he was, he came, he did the installations and now everything is up and running. You know, they had yesterday after I had spoken to Will, sent me on another confirmation for an appointment for Friday morning um, to have the installation made, but it was made yesterday evening. And in a statement to us, Vodafone apologised for the inconvenience caused and they said that it falls below the, the standards of, that they expect from their own service. Are you happy enough with their response? Yeah, listen, I'm happy enough with the response. I mean, things can happen. It, it was the lack of communication 
was was really the issue, you know. Um, you know that the services are just gone and no communication whatsoever. And that that's what I really had the issue with. And you know, just a loss of services for four days. That's not what I had signed up for. Now, as it turned out, it was loss of services for two, I suppose, or a little bit less. Listen, I'd just like to thank you for, for taking the story, making people aware, and just, you know, I suppose to say, look, be careful when you're doing these things, because it doesn't always run smoothly. Mm. And that's Dermot, who, just to clarify, spoke with Sinead Hubble yesterday, so, in fact, uh, Vodafone responded to him on the day that he called this programme. So, if we can help you in some way, please lift the phone. Doesn't always work as successfully as that, but we try our best. 0818 300 103 is the number to call. It's 20 past 11 nearly. Where's the morning going? Midlands Today's Friday panel. Thanks to Comfort Keepers Home Care. A caring voice and a daily dose of joy. Comfortkeepers.ie Let's meet our Friday panel. Alison Hardy is here from Ali's Kitchen in Mount Lucas. And she came bearing gifts, which I will rewrap and will present to Mrs. Faulkner on <laughs> We're Valentine's in trouble Day. <laughs> How's the form? Great form, yeah. So are you back on the horse? Yeah, back on the horse. I'm That's st- not a euphemism, John Cusack. Stop looking at me like that. <laughs> Still sore, yeah. Oh, um, it was a bit of a shocker, all right. I, 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 in my head, I was able to get up from the ground and I was able to get down from the saddle onto the ground. But I was very glad when there was a wall and I stood on the wall, so... We have a bit of uh, exercises to do and, you know, squats. <laughs> you did a lot of horse riding when you were younger. And yeah. This was the first time in how long? Yeah, from age 7 to 23. Uh, I was in the Kildare Hunt Pony Club. I owned horses for a long time. So there's been quite a gap. <laughs> quite a gap. But I did canter. Your words. Your yeah. words saying there's quite a gap. I was going to say you're 21 plus VAT. Yeah. You know, yeah. We won't say what the VAT rate is. John Cusack <laughs> is here. He's manager of the Bridge Centre in Tullamore. Morning, sir. You here to behave? Of course, blessed man among women. Yes, indeed. And uh, of course you have a big charity night coming up very soon. Yes, indeed. Um, well, that's your party to blame for this as well with all your 80s stuff as well. So yeah, no, the Harriers experience, four of us got together. Um, Paul Fox, Tony Christie, Neil Murphy and myself. And um, we brought back, we're bringing back the Harriers experience. We had a couple last year that were hugely successful. We would have given Act 3,240 just before Christmas, our event in August. Yeah, Act is Accessible Counselling to Lamore. And this one is for Killy Schoolboys, Schoolgirls Soccer. Next Saturday night. Now, in case people, it's not all about the love, but just because it's in, we're calling it the Valentine's experience. We're going to have loads of stuff from 70s, 80s. I assumed it was a slow set all night. There will be three slow sets. That's it. Don't be worried. We're going to have plenty of music and we'll have air guitars. And if you want to dress up as a mod, if you want to dress up as um, anyone you like from the 80s, come along. We're going to we're going to bring you a mighty night in the Phoenix in Tullamore. The lights, the whole lot, reincarnate your youth, bring you back to your youth. Now, I'm going to bring people back to when maybe they went to the local school disco or the dance hall and trekked across the floor and asked, would you like to dance? And maybe got past the second dance and the hands were moving around in a particular area. So maybe got the kiss and maybe got sent home. So I'll be... M- be maybe went horse night. riding. Who knows? And maybe <laughs> went... Ho- and if you want a horse, I have plenty too, so yeah, don't horse. be stuck. <laughs> What's that? What was that song? You don't, don't, don't. F your Honda Civic. There's a horse outside, yes. 
Pauline Flanagan is a lecturer at the Southeast Technological University, but she's going to mention at some stage that, you know, vote Pauline Flanagan in the local elections. We might as well just put it out there. We may as well put it out there. Yes, well, that I'm running as an independent candidate in the Port Leash Municipal District. So lots happening, very busy. I heard you talking with um, independent Senator Sharon Kuhan earlier. And I just thought the reason I was late this morning is I was with someone helping them fill out forms. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Being a community activist. And um, you need community champions, don't you, that are really passionate about making a difference. But that's my yeah. my uh, pitch. And I'm not, uh, we're seen, not here to... I've seen you've tried now. to go on TikTok lately. Yeah, I'm doing my best. It's hard, though, isn't it, to pitch it right. Yeah. yeah, but I'll have a lot of fun with it. I think when you, you were have... giving out about the price of lollipops or sweets or something. A bar, about a tiny bar. One, that was it. Like one of those that you've kindly been given by Alison. Uh, like one small one. And it was one euro twenty. And I just went, no, no, no. It's like literally one of those small little ones. So I just thought the world has gone mad. So, uh, yeah, that's not really going to get me votes, is it? But anyway, <laughs> but I just thought when you were talking there, um, uh, Dan, about the... Uh, Harriers event was there a nightclub in Tullamore called the Harriers? My no, husband's right from Offaly. He right used to was. the Harriers, and he's chat up line even to me sometimes as well now. <coughs> but when he was in the Harriers, and I thought, my goodness me, was um, uh, will you dance? You have a lovely mouth for cooling soup. In the name, of the, imagine that you have a lovely mouth for cooling soup. That would seem. I have a great one as well. Go <laughs> yeah. on, what's yours? I was at a hen party, and some guy came up to me, and he goes, "Can you imagine if we're in like a car?" sales garage right now and I was like okay where's this going and he said to me um, you'd be the Mercedes in the room oh <laughs> I was delighted with myself but I thought it was a good one actually I was good. how do you know when you're in love <laughs> we're waiting when you get the slap on the backside and says you're in love Oh, that's, that's actually no. no, 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 no. Okay, my Valentine's joke this morning are way simpler, and actually, no, in fairness, no. clean. clean. What did the snail say on Valentine's Day when on the phone? I just crawled to say I love you. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Oh boy. Right. Before we get taken off here, I have one as well. By the way. So this probably comes from the west of Ireland. You go up to them and you say, how would you like to be buried with my people? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. or this one. I love you. I love you. I love you. Um, oh, God, I'm going to have to get my glasses now. <laughs> oh, I love you. I love you. I'll, I'll say it again. I love you more than Barbie loves Ken. I'm going to that in my it's nice, right? That's nice. Well, here's love that is probably in trouble. Letter to one of the papers. We are expecting our first child, a boy, and we were in the process of choosing a name when my husband's dad got sick. He decided almost instantly he wanted to name our son after his father. It's his brother's and his grandfather's name as well, so I suppose he feels like he's preserving his family's legacy. We were both very emotional when he made this decision and I told him it was a great idea. But now on reflection, I don't like it. I don't like the name and I never have. It's old-fashioned and I know my family will hate it as well. The thing is, I've already told him and his siblings have been told and his whole family has been told and they're really touched. What should I do? 
gosh. I, I'm thinking back to when um, my third uh, fellow was born. I didn't know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl, to be honest. But when it was a boy, and um, I said to the hubby, Jerry, I said, like, you know, we have another son called Frank, but do you want him to be called Jerry Jr. or something? And he said, um, no, not really bothered, no. But And I said, well, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call him after me. So he's Paul. You know, I'm Pauline. Mm. And very few women think of doing that. Do you know what I mean? Having a derivative mm. of their own Brilliant. name. You know? It doesn't always translate, I suppose. But yeah. yeah, in your case, it certainly does. There's always some connection. Like, or, you know. or like, you know, there's a lot of Johns in my dad is John. And then everyone was thinking of calling my brother John. But mum said, what about Jonathan? So you can kind of work on it, can't you? Yeah. Or some yeah. people go for Jack. Mm. Yeah. So you're not you're skipping around the dilemma here. But what's the name? Have we got? She the doesn't name? say. Okay. Oh yeah. Does she know what she's having? A boy. She's oh, she had, had a boy. boy yeah. well, she's having she's a boy. Having a yeah. boy. Oh, she is having mm. a boy. And it could be Alphonsus or something, you know. No offence to Alphonsus, just not a common name. We have a deal in our house, so if it was a boy, Amelda got to call, and if it was a girl, I got to call. So we ended up having two girls, and I had the decision. First girl was called after I was going to Mullingar, 1989, in a Toyota Carina, XCI-10. And the late Jerry Ryan was on air, and he was talking to a girl called Danielle. And I said, that's the name. No way. Yes. And the second girl then was called Louise. So, job done. Why Louise? Uh, Actually, I don't know why we called her Louise, but I had the choice. When I heard the name, I thought it was something that we we mixed their grandmothers uh, into their second names. All right. But... um, No, because that's how Danielle come to be called. Danielle, I was going across to... To um, she was after being born, and uh, I missed it. Brought him elder over. Oh no, you can go on home. Was back, and uh, next thing had to go back over. And um, that morning, and Jerry Ryan was on, and he said, um, "Talking to Danielle here," and I said, "Yeah, that's it. Job done." All right. Anyway, nobody's taking a position on this uh, domestic dispute, which oh. is probably rather <laughs> wise. I'm involved in too many more. Mm. On our Friday panel, we'll get into the big news of the week in just a few moments. Pauline Flanagan is a lecturer in SETU, also a local election candidate in Portlaoise. Alison Hardy of Ali's Kitchen in Mount Lucas and John Cusack of the Bridge Centre in Tullamore. Midlands Today's Friday panel. Thanks to Comfort Keepers Home Care. A caring voice and a daily dose of joy. Comfortkeepers.ie Olive says she likes your thinking, Pauline. Her son is being confirmed next month and for his confirmation, he has chosen the male version of her name. So she's Olive and he will be Oliver. And she feels very privileged. Beautiful name. So nice gesture indeed. Okay. Uh, And by the way, Mark in Leash neglected to call this out earlier. We were talking about women in politics and how few they are. And he said, uh, Carol Nolan is an example in the Midlands of a natural leader who asserts herself well 
an excellent example of women in politics. And, well, Pauline, is she will amply mention, is <laughs> hoping to be elected to Leash County Council later this year. Yeah, and, and that is the thing, isn't it? You know, we, we you, you said it yourself earlier, you know, the, the male-female population is practically 50-50. And we really, really do need more community champions. And I, I, I don't mean to be sexist about this now, <laughs> but I, I do firmly believe that women get things done. We actually go out there. We don't just talk mm. about things, you know. Um, and since the 2019 local elections, uh, when I, which I lost, unfortunately, but what I, I thought was, well, how can I win now? What can I do to win? So it's really about, since then, I'm on so many committees and it makes such a difference. You get so much back by giving, you know, and just being busy in the community. But it'd be lovely to be in the council so that then you can affect change at policy level. But again, we'll move on. Yeah. I'm having a Joe Biden moment. What did we say we wanted to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Buckingham Palace and the announcement Mm. earlier this week that Britain's King Charles has been diagnosed with cancer. They didn't say which kind other than it's not prostate, but it was discovered while he was being treated for an enlarged prostate. It continues to dominate the headlines across the Irish Sea, as well you would expect. But even people here are starting to read into it. Unusual that the palace said he had cancer. Unusual that Prince Harry is flying back from the United States. How serious is this really? Did you pick up on on that, Alison? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wasn't there a helicopter? um, Pick him up and bring him to hospital. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just feel there is probably more to this. All right. I, but I, I, I made the point earlier that um, we do always think of him as being maybe in his 50s or so because his mum lived for so long. But, he, you know, he is 75 yeah. as well. We forget. I think we really do forget his age. He's an old age pensioner. Absolutely. Do you know? Um, and they were saying, what, it's benign in the prostate. So, um, yeah, there must be more to it. I don't know. Yeah, the prostate mm. issue is separate. That's separate, yeah. The, what fact, are your th- the fact that Harry has come home. That's a big thing, yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. a big thing. But to be honest, though, well, I, I don't know. Uh, I just feel with this, it, you know, I, I, I wish the man the very, very best. And, uh, you know, uh, but we're, we're in Ireland. And just as a Republican, I, I, I don't know why. If, if President Michael D. Higgins had cancer, would they be talking about it in the UK? No. They wouldn't, you know. Um, and I genuinely do. I loved watching The Crown. I but read despair. Cer- sorry, there is a it. certain celebrity factor. There isn't is, there? of course. Yeah. Yes, yes, I do. And I wish him well. But um, goodness me. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's important to realise that that is cancer, like that it doesn't discriminate and that, you know, anyone, um, you just have to be minding yourself and doing all the checks and that. Um, that now we have, you know, someone royal with it and... Um, you know, it'll come out, I suppose. It will come out where eventually it is and that that is mm. a good thing for people to be aware of that. Well, indeed, when uh, Queen Elizabeth mm. died, it was said to be from natural causes, but mm-hmm. subsequently uh, one of the best biographers of the royal family has said actually she had bone marrow cancer. And her dad. Had cancer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So the gene is there. Yeah, yeah, it's genetic. Well, do you know, if you were to flip it on its head, the positivity out of highlighting the cancer at the moment, like cancer is, is uh, rapid. I think it's more an epidemic than actually COVID was. The amount of young people and the amount of people that we hear with, um, you only got five weeks, six weeks. And, yeah. and I know of people in that situation myself as well. 
but for whatever reason there seems to be in the 40 to 50 age bracket at the moment cancer seems to be at an, uh, mm. an epidemic stage and if it if we were to take uh, a, neg- a positive out of it that yes we do need to be probably taking more care of ourselves and that probably slipped during COVID where be- you couldn't be seen by a doctor people put a lot of stuff on the back burner mm. people would say oh no yeah. it'll be alright I'll get on with it people didn't take heed of and maybe a lot of stuff went under the radar with the whole highlight of COVID and like mm-hmm. I know we're four years on from the start of it and in, in, in the next month but I, I, I do know people a lot of people in palliative care at the moment I do know the, the nurses and the amount of focus and help that's required at the moment uh, even if you look at DOCUS or the Kushla Centre they're out the doors uh, dealing and assisting people at the moment so sometimes something like this highlights uh, and can you can take the positives out of the negative for the services that are required we should look after ourselves and, and like for somebody I wouldn't you know I'd go for the MOT or whatever but you wouldn't be ah, it'd be alright but yet we have to DOE our car we have to mm. NCT or Jeep if there's something wrong with the horse at home or something like that they have to be vaccinated every year and things and we do sort of when it comes to oneself we put ourselves nearly last and mm. I think I think now we're seeing the results of the whole COVID pandemic where a lot of stuff went under the radar people's health went under the radar and yeah. like now it is actually coming out that there's a huge amount of cancer around but I, I think your point is valid in that keep everything in proportion so what tends to kill a lot of people in Ireland cancer is certainly up on the list uh, cardiovascular disease related to that stroke uh, dementia and when you talk about COVID when you talk about the measles this week mm-hmm. yes they are concerns but they're very isolated compared to the big killers and I want to ask and just take the temperature in the room about what has been a very tragic event in County Westmeath the death of this man 48 years of age recently returned from Birmingham uh, the measles is something many people listening would have grown up accepting as being part and parcel of everyday risk. Vaccines came along. Vaccine rates were very high for a while. They fell off a bit during the noughties. But it's still incredibly rare. How concerned would you be about the events of the last couple of weeks, Alison? Um, well, I would be the sort to, um, you know put this blanket around my family and protect them so I did make phone call just to make sure that um, you know my other half was vaccinated of course I made the phone call to my dad to check as well Um, and then when you get that vaccine then you're supposed to have it for life so I don't know um, are they going to bring in a booster maybe Um, yeah I am for vaccines I have my two kids vaccinated for the chicken pox not many people in Ireland know you can get a chicken pox vaccine for your mm. kids, but you can privately. Um, so, yes, yeah, it, it, it is a little bit worrying, but um, we just kind of have to monitor it, don't we? There's, what has there been, 10 cases, I think, since the 3rd of February? You see, uh, I, I wonder here is, uh, you know, it's bringing back again mm. to what you were saying, uh, Diana, about COVID. 
the vaccinations in relation to COVID and all of a sudden people started getting very worried and then there was that narrative in relation to the measles vaccine. A lot of mothers worried about um, the connection between measles and autism. Um, and suddenly, uh, o- over the last especially few years, people are wary of vaccinations and we've heard the stories of people getting COVID boosters and all of a sudden being rushed to hospital with heart attacks. Um, and, you know, I think there's a little bit of concern there. So to me, it does seem like the government have um, have an obligation here to make sure to communicate the science, the science and make sure, you know, because, uh, you know, condolences to that poor family in Westmeath because um, when we hear of someone dying from from the measles, that's serious, you know, and the vaccinations to me seem to be something that, you know, look back, back at TB, for example, you know, like look at how that's totally evaporated now as a result of vaccinations. And But then someone said to me when I said that to them, well, look back at the thalidomide babies, um, which again were as a result of, of um, mothers getting an, an incorrect vaccine. So there are concerns out there, but I do but, think a communications campaign pain about the science needs to be done. Th- you know? th- there can be trust issues, though. People mm-hmm. are sceptical of big pharma and political donations here are more tightly regulated but in the United States Big Pharma contributes vastly to to both parties Mm. and obviously people will question what they expect in return for that. John? I often wonder are we in a cycle where something comes around and you we all back off from taking that vaccine or I didn't get my flu vac last September or I didn't take the booster for the COVID and I probably regret taking not taking the vaccine for the flu because I got a dreadful flu over Christmas and it did knock me for six. But at some stage then you have to try and your body has to be able to build up its immune system. But I often wonder, are we in cycles? Because, do you know, with the COVID and then 100 years here or and like TB, I remember in the 80s going to visit a relative in Piedmont mm. in and Newcastle and Piedmont was full of people with TB and as you rightly said there's no we have no mention of TB out there at the moment so and but what the reading just having a quick glance through here what they are saying is that there's a a, a massive increase of measles across Europe have yeah. been seen this winter so what contributed it what started it and our sympathies go out to that gentleman and you're here now that they're trying to track and trace the individuals that he came in contact with in the buses. So what was underlying, what was all, and not to be scaremongering, but what was that man's uh, journey before? he Where did he pick it up or... Um, it's movement, movement, movement travel. around and travel around. We're so, traveling more now. But I, we have our vaccinations and our, the two, we all have it in our house, but like we have all, I got measles and I remember... You know, we've years and years ago getting it and having it. So, I mean, it's went through it, but it's um, hopefully it's an isolated case and that it can be dealt with. But I think the whole COVID again, and we sometimes we just keep going back to that, the whole vaccines, the amount of scaremongering that went out there, the amount of somebody or and I know loads of people who continue to get their vaccination and readily want to get the vaccination and have had absolutely no um, anything out of it or nothing has affected them or nothing has come out of it. So, But there will always be, I, I always say, you know, per percentages per population is probably small, very, very small compared to other things that are way up in the double digits and mm. that we're not even talking about or slipping under the radar. 
like dementia. Yeah, that was, exactly. How, how these talked all... about that the other morning. Mm. Like I, I know a relative at the moment who's 66 with dementia, mm. a developing design engineer, totally incapacitated at home in his house. His family are looking after them, after him. And he's only 66 and he's had no quality of life for five years. His cognitive memory is relatively very good, but his physical is now every day decreasing, decreasing. And like you, we deal with a few people that we know and that come into the shopping centre that their families and it's frightening to see somebody then realise, oh, where am I? Mm. Where are you now? Mm. Do you know? Mm. But also for whoever is at home caring for them, it has a huge impact on their quality of life as well. We see that. So, yeah. and, and unfortunately, these are the sorts of bread and butter issues that come up on this programme all the time. We had a mum during the week in Port Leash, Louise, who was trying to find a school for her child with autism and in, at primary level, no places available. And you'd wonder in this day and age that we've lost sight of the actual key areas for all anybody that has a disability or suffering with something that there seems to be an issue in obtaining services. Mm-hmm. Come on, we're in 2024 and it's you're in an election year and we're I facing know, in. But yeah. these are the things that need to be highlighted. Like, you know, I started on the canvas trail already. And when you mentioned that, there was one I, it, it will stay with me forever. It was actually the father who answered the door because the mother was gone for a well-deserved just break for a few minutes walk. And... While I was talking with him, his 12-year-old son was sitting on the stairs and uh, with very, very, very severe autism. And they're equally trying to find a place. And I, I just look and, and again, it comes back to I think why some more women need to be involved because we ca- we have more empathy, mm-hmm. you know. But that child was literally going back and forward, screaming and screaming on the stairs. And I was chatting for 10 minutes. 10 minutes I had that at the door. They have that 24-7. I mean, you know, we if we don't as a society take care of the most vulnerable and the elderly and our youth, we're, we're really not doing a good job. Well, well, I see it with listeners. They find it grating sometimes when we, let's say, have a minister on who talks about how the public finances are in rude health. And they are. They're robust and the tax receipts are, particularly from corporate, uh, you know, corporation tax, very healthy. We talked earlier about lending in this country and last year credit unions having a record year. It seems there's no shortage of cash washing around in general but for some basics yeah, and it's still starved. And that, but, um, and I'm not um, in for one second here um, inciting or that we should all go out but we're, we're very tolerable in this country for a lot of stuff. We accept and I know the farmers went out last week, but it was a Mickey Mouse effort in, ter- in compared to what they did out. And they only had to be seen to be going out. And I heard Francie Gorman. Sorry, compared to what they did in, on the continent. And I'm not mm. saying that we should do that. But um, in Ireland, and I know the far right have different things of what they're inciting on. But there's, I, I've had this debated several times and I, I have a keen interest in politics as well. But like that, where we lose sight of where there's money flooding in from Europe for A, B, C, D, E, F and G. But there is people in this country, in our communities, in our localities, who are struggling on a day-to-day basis purely because of the red tape that might be 10 euros in their salary over every week. There's red tape no matter where you go to access any of these services. And 
like that in this day and age is absolutely ridiculous. And the amount of money that is washed out on in unnecessary stuff. Um, and I don't want to get into a real debate about the whole um, the amount of migrants coming into our country. But if you look at some of the money that is being pumped into these um, these housing areas around, uh, it's absolutely and there's going under the radar. It's not coming from Europe. It's coming from our own coffers. And I and I know with the best will in the world, you will never sort the housing issue because there are people who just choose to be in their bubble and it doesn't matter what you well, give them. Yeah, but we do need... But, but, but maybe we don't sort this, the housing issue in the traditional way. Maybe we have to embrace more modular bills. Maybe we have, as Seamus Kane described earlier, this high-rise solution in Tullamore. Maybe we have to accept the skyline is going yes. to be a bit different. But there are some things we do very well in this country. So, for instance, starting small businesses. And there was an article in the Irish Independent about this. Uh, but we have set up local enterprise offices which have made those small incubator businesses very, very achievable. We have more entrepreneurship probably now than we ever did before. You're a good example of that, Alison. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that, that's yeah. not to blow smoke up your, you know where, but <laughs> yeah. your, your past life was doing what? Yeah, well, I've, I was telling John actually, um, I have a degree in hotel management. Um, so I worked in hospitality and... Um, then, you know, I ended up trailing off into banks and insurance, but I ended up coming back to the, the food industry by setting up my own business. So, yeah, I, I um, make, you know, wedding cakes, confirmation cakes, communion cakes, birthday cakes, all celebration treats and goodies. And um, and was that a red tape experience or was that a bit more streamlined? Um, actually, you know, it, it wasn't actually hugely difficult, to be honest, um, being a home baker. It's just you have to have... Um, educate yourself on you know food allergy te- um, the labelling mm. of food you have to educate yourself on quite a lot of that but there's a lot of support from the HSE and I had a lovely lady come out and check the kitchen and um, you know go through everything with me temperatures of everything and, and baking is you know low risk item of course it's not like I'm cheese making or yogurts or anything like that prawns but um, yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of help and there's a lot of advice and support and you know citizens information have a lot and there's a website uh, Fusion uh, Formations um, they have a lot of information as well and you know I think there's a lot of once you have a lot of love and passion for what you're making or what yeah. you're producing Congratulations, Alice. Yeah. I'm dying to go there. It sounds fabulous. But um, mm. uh, Ali's, Ali's Kitchen. Ali's Kitchen, yeah. 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 Um, but, she made but, a lovely Star Trek cake for us earlier in the year. Uh, oh, brilliant. You. You're just really flattering this girl now. Yeah, to get your freebies. It wasn't a freebie. <laughs> Sugar is very addictive. <laughs> but uh, I just love to know, though, Alison, uh, mm. because mm. again, I'm hearing, you know, we have the Cube, for example, in Port Leash, with the Leash Chamber Alliance, and you've got all of these that are really great for um, helping business but I often wonder though is entrepreneurship something that we encourage especially young people like you sound like you had your own shoots path to get to get out there and you were driven to do so but um, when I look for example in the main street as we do it every single town throughout um, the Midlands uh, you know there's so many buildings and you think that would make a gorgeous little boutique or a gorgeous little coffee mm-hmm. shop and we have plenty but um, is the is the drive or is the awareness of what's available out there and are the rates do the rates not need to come down are they not a, a huge hindrance along with the bureaucracy as you mentioned John 
Yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I think that I think that, and I just talked to somebody the other day about it. I think that they're going to seriously have to look at the VAT this the VAT and the, for the mm-hmm. hospitality because there are a lot of restaurants struggling at the moment. There's a lot of restaurants yeah. closing. There was a headline mm-hmm. on the Daily Mail. Yes, I think yesterday, to, yeah. two restaurants a day closing. Yes, yeah. and that's only the start of what we're seeing now. And I know if you look at the cost and you vary that some place can sell a cup, a mug of coffee at two fifty. And I see more and more people bringing their own cup and bits now. But if you if you look at the actual cost, and I would have said, you know, that's exorbitant and you're charging mm. this and you're charging the other. But then if you look, I was talking to one of the guys in the chippers, potatoes at the moment are gone through the roof for them. They're, they're nearly doubled and trebled in price in the last uh, six months because of a lot of factors. And the, the only thing that, I know the electricity is coming down, but, we need to look at some of the smaller businesses that are on the ground that actually need the support and services. But again, it's the red tape. You have to jump through hoops mm. as opposed to being able to come in, yeah. sit down, get up or get operation. And, and like I know there's a lot of great stuff and all the enterprises board or enterprise boards around in all the various different counties. But if you go back to the services again, there, there are and I say I will say it again, there are a lot of people who are struggling for mainstream services, for family supports, don't know how to get it, don't know how to even set up care in the home, the red tape that you have to go through that. Well, if you've ever seen a fair deal application, I've seen, I've seen it, been there, done that, and wore the t-shirt for helping a relative within the family as well. So I mean, but the other, my thing would be that if somebody wants to stay in their house, go out, evaluate what it's going to take. They're a, they're better off staying at home being looked after at home, put the care package. And there are fantastic care packages and care services out there. My wife works in with the HSE. Okay. She's in Port Leash the whole time. But everybody would like to stay in their own home. And some families are just not equipped to do it with the best will in the world. But mm-hmm. if, you, if we can help them make the services available and make sure there's somebody after five o'clock on a Friday evening, that you're not joining the queue, that you're your application has to be prior, prioritised and it may be a case that there's somebody in an office here and they have to post it to get to the office out there. Well, that's a whole other area of conversation about, yeah. uh, you know, after five o'clock in the evening in the public service and there was a horrible case before the coroner concerning a death in Westmeath. Uh, but anyway, leaving that there, we're over time and guys, I want to say thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Alison Hardy of Ali's Kitchen in Mount Lucas. Pauline Flanagan of SETU, the Southeast Technological University, and also on the ballot paper in the forthcoming local elections in Port Leash, and John Cusick, who eventually is going to appear on a ballot paper one day, I feel. And our Valentine's joke to finish with. Uh-oh. When should you ask someone on a coffee date on Valentine's Day when you like them a latte? Oh, boy. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Chat to you Monday morning from nine. <laughs> bye bye. The Friday panel on Midlands today with Comfort Keepers Home Care, helping people live safe, happy, and independent lives in the comfort of their own homes. Comfortkeepers.ie.